top four in trial motions. Representing yourself in court? Or maybe you just don't have much faith in your attorney. Continue learning with our series on self-representation. Today we're going over the top four in trial motions. Whether your case is civil or criminal, this information is bound to help you be better prepared for trial. In season two, episode 14, we went over the five most common pre-trial motions and in coming videos, we'll go over the most common post-trial motions. But today we're going over the top four motions used during trial. So the first of these motions is called a motion to strike. Now there's a twofold purpose for this motion. Before trial, this is a party's request that the court delete insufficient defenses or immaterial, redundant, impertinent, or even scandalous statements from an opponent's pleading. So if you think something is in your opponent's documents that they're filing with the court, you might ask them for a motion to strike. You might ask them to strike some of those documents. But what we're talking about here is what's happening during trial, a motion to strike during trial. Now this is a request that inadmissible evidence be deleted from the record and that the jury be instructed to disregard it. Now, that might sound simple enough, perhaps, but it's a little bit complicated. Now, first of all, you have the aspect of the information that is gotten out, say, in somebody's testimony, and it's information that is inadmissible. Usually the court has already covered what would be allowed at trial, and perhaps uh, the prosecuting attorney, for example, has allowed a witness to go a little farther than they were supposed to and talk about things that were already deemed inadmissible for one reason or another. So in that case, a defendant is going to move to strike the material and take it right out of the record, but there's also that portion of a specific instruction to the jury to disregard or forget that information and that they can't use that particular information when they go into deliberations. Now that might sound all fine and dandy, but it's kind of like unringing a bell. Once it's rung, it's, it's there, right? So it uh, sounds good on paper, but it's a little harder in practice. Now, a motion to dismiss, that is going to be the second one uh, that is the top of these in-trial motions. It also can be used before trial. In fact, I would suggest to you that if you have a motion to dismiss that you want to file, you need to file it in paper uh, ahead of your trial, uh, significantly ahead of your trial, so you have plenty of time to go over all of the details with that, with the court, and have oral argument on that motion, etc. But you can also file a motion to dismiss during the trial, which is, of course, what we're talking about here. When do you do that, you might wonder? Well, you're going to want to, uh, it's not filing it, it's just verbally saying uh, uh, that you move to dismiss the case. You're going to do that after the prosecution in a criminal case or the plaintiff in a civil case has rested their case, where they are done presenting uh, the evidence and um, uh, material, the, the testimony, and the only thing they might have is questions on cross-examination or whatever from the defendant's witnesses that are being put on later. 
So it's bef after the, the plaintiff or the prosecution has rested their case, but usually before the defense puts on their case, that is when this request is made. And it's uh, in this context, this is a request that the court dismiss the case because of a procedural defect. If you want more information on different types of motions to dismiss, we did talk about those quite in depth during season one, episode 21, and season two, episode 14. So check those out for more information on a motion to dismiss. Third, we're gonna talk about a motion for directed verdict, a motion for directed verdict. This is a party's request that the court enter a judgment in its favor before the case is submitted to the jury. Why? Because there is no legally sufficient evidentiary basis on which a reasonable or rational jury could find for the other party. So it's more evaluating the facts rather than the procedures of the case. The federal rules of civil procedure now call this a motion for judgment as a matter of law. And for any first year or second year law school student, you have JMOL burned into your memory. And uh, well, this is from that. So if you've ever heard a, a law school student running around uh, studying for exams and talking about things like JMOL, that's what this is. A motion for a directed verdict that in the federal rules of civil procedure is now called uh, a motion for a judgment as a matter of law. Here, a defendant can move for a directed verdict anytime after the plaintiff rests his or her case. So what about a motion for judgment of acquittal? Well, this is basically the same thing, but specific to a criminal case. This is a criminal defendant's request uh, at the close of the government's case or even the close of all the evidence. So either uh, once the prosecution rests their case or even after the defense uh, has presented a case and now closes their case as well. Uh, that the defendant be acquitted because there is no legally sufficient evidentiary basis on which a reasonable jury could return a guilty verdict. Uh, that's been found in Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure 29A. Uh, like I said, it's very much similar to the Motion for Directed Verdict, or JMOL, uh, but that's usually more in the civil setting, whereas the judgment, excuse me, motion for judgment of acquittal is going to be in the criminal setting. So, motion to strike, motion to dismiss, motion for directed verdict, motion for judgment of acquittal. These are the top four in trial or during a trial set of motions that would be used. So check out our video on the five most common pre-trial motions, our upcoming video on the most common post-trial motions, upcoming videos on common motions made during appeals, top five objections made during trial, and three important jury considerations, all of which is uh, part of our series on self-representation. So whether you're actually representing yourself or maybe you just don't have that much faith in your attorney, you can at least have a little bit more knowledge and know-how about what is happening in your case, whether it's civil or criminal. 
And as always, check out all the additional information on a variety of constitutional and legal topics right on our website, RestoreFreedomKH.com.